Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Kaji. And today we have uh, a special guest with us. I think one of the most important producers in the history uh, of British techno. You might know him uh, as Planetary Assault or Clementine, uh, Seventh Plane or uh, just Luke Slater. I wanted to ask, I mean, your new album... Archangel. Mm. Um, you said talking about it that, that music has to go forward. Yeah. How do you continue doing that? How do you continue innovating almost 30 years after you first released a record? You know, I look at it like it's not really about how, how to innovate. It's about that that's really the only way I can do it. So unless I'm doing that and I can pull that off, then I can't really do it at all because it's too... Uh, I don't know, maybe boring, repetitive. It's, it's kind of the reasons The reasons I started in the first place were based around that anyway. And it just, I suppose everything sort of came together at different points where it just fitted. But it, and then regardless of what's happening sort of around what I do, I'm, my head is always thinking, how, how can I do something different? Approach that with a different thinking than before and that that's for me that's what does it so it's 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 sort of um i'm not really thinking okay i've got to come up with something new or different it's more like if i can find that then i'm energized to to do it and then that satisfies me for a short period of time and the loop seems to continue and was there ever a time over those sort of 27 years that you found it hard to, to come up with something new, you felt you're sort of stagnating, or has it always, as inspiration always kind of flows? Yeah, generally, I just don't, I just don't do anything. If if I if I'm feeling it, I just I just don't do it because I know actually, well, I I write every day, so even if it's crap, I just try and knock something out because I seem to feel better that way. You know, it's a bit of a bit of a release, and I think it's always worth like doing that and just like tucking it away. Quite a few tracks have kind of been successful by doing that and me thinking they're not all that, but then I come back to them and think, oh, maybe this has got something now, you know? So, so you have a, your routine is you get up in the morning, you, you go into the studio, uh, it's, you treat it like a day job? Um, actually, I think my day job's like doing bills, um, you know, emails and general stuff around. I think that's the that, that for me that's still the work is is the stuff that surrounds it. But but yeah, usually about maybe six, you know, I hit the studio and six in the evening, yeah, and then see how that goes and try and be strict not to uh, to actually write something rather than work out how something works too much or you know hoover the desk <laughs> you know like fiddle around with stuff because it's a, it's a weird perception that you've achieved something but you haven't actually really done anything you've just kind of learned how to wire you know just a bit of software or something so i, I, I really i work better if i sort of go in there cold um with a slight edge of i really don't want to do this i really don't want to try and write another track but then that seems to that seems there's kind of a weird negative positive so if i'm feeling really positive about it, it's probably not going to work that has to be some kind of like <sighs> yeah something like a thorn in your side yeah, yeah. sort of yeah yeah it's uh, a booster you said you have um you have four kids is it hard to find 
or hard to make the time to make music around around your family? Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, I got I've, actually when I started when I was twenty, I I was a dad already. So um, my son is now twenty eight, I think twenty seven, twenty eight. He's kind of probably seen the, the the good and the bad side of the whole uh, scene. I mean, he used to come on tour I mean, in the in the splitter van, and he's even been on the tour bus with the bunks and everything. But um, suffice to say, he's decided not to take that route <laughs> in life. <laughs> but he's had the experience, you know. And but it it it's 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 kind of a balanced thing. But at the same time, for some reason, I'm driven to do what I do, and it's not out of a sort of. A, it's not really an egotistical thing. It's not like um, it's it's just without doing what I do, I'm I'm absolutely useless to anyone. Absolutely useless. I've got no no purpose, and it doesn't make it good for for anyone else around me. So I've kind of worked this out, and I think I'm allowed some slack just to do <laughs> that because it, because the the after effects around it are much better if I'm allowed to sort of do that, you know. To, to, to get my advice to have that time so that that's how that's how I quantify it and it and it, you know it can work yeah you know it's um, well Heidi my my wife she she used to work at fabric uh, fabric that is now gone sadly but so she kind of knows the school and yeah that helps somebody who's from the culture and the industry. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big plus because there's no way to understand what's going going on without actually being involved in it at some point. Um, but actually, I'm a big believer as well that you know, trying not to separate too much. I, d I don't anymore separate kind of the, the lifestyle with with uh, you know we got we got a daughter uh, now, so I kind of try and merge it a bit so she doesn't see that uh, that she understands that it's quite a different way of life it's not I'm not there at weekends and you know I'm sort of really working at strange hours and I'm in and out and you know and I, I kind of tried to uh, get the uh, the positiveness in all of that rather than the negativeness so it's, it's very much, uh, it's almost like, I think we, we kind of run a, it's almost like a little hippie commune in a way. It's, you know, because everything happens where I live. You know, it's like a cottage, cottage industry. <laughs> a bit like a mini version of, um, I like to think like um, Frank Zappa tried to <laughs> sort of like get everyone together. And that's, that, that's kind of, I think there's something in that. I wanted to ask about the new album, um, which um, you said it's going to focus on alternative melody. Yeah. I was wondering, what is alternative melody? And how... Well, I mean, I've always liked melody that's a little bit obscure. So if you say, go and find something melodic, Luke, I'll probably find a really obscure record with, with tones that don't go together very well and are slightly off. But I was... I think it was about a year ago, or maybe a year and a half, I, would, I just had the radio on. And there's a band from Scotland, uh, I can't remember their name, might be the Young Fathers. And all their melodies were totally discordant, um, but it's like an in, you know, it's a pop sort of indie band. Yeah. And I just, I just thought, yeah, I just thought, that's really nice to hear, you know, like some stuff that really doesn't go together that well. But for, for me, that's like, I really enjoy that. Yeah. And that sort of added to the weight of, or oh, maybe I can... Uh, 
I kind of wanted to move with techno into that zone where maybe there was a melody that people could remember but was totally unstandard. Um, it's something that I enjoyed, but it was it was moving things up the top rather than driving just with the beat. Because the even though I'm a drummer from the beginning, it it's I I wanted to hear something else going on up the top rather than just sort of you know your functional techno, which is is fine. It's got a purpose, but that's not that's not where I wanted to go with it. Do you subscribe to the idea that certain melodies can uh, evoke certain states yeah. of mind? Yeah, very much. Probably more than rhythm, actually, because I think rhythm goes to the to the, the, the soul, you know, the, 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 the primitive in us, but I think the melody messes with the mind. And I kind of like this idea that, you know, when people hear something, that they get provoked in some way, whether it's good or bad or it puts them in a the strange state of mind, or it puts them into something good, or it gives them like more energy or less energy. That, that, that was a pur purposeful thing to try and uh, reach, reach into the brain and try and tickle, tickle bits, you know. <laughs> I was really struck, especially on the new album, but you're, you're using a lot of really interesting timbres that are really... Um, kind of glassy and metallic. They're not sounds that you hear on most records, even in electronic music. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess I think that's why I like the sound because I hadn't really used it to that extent before. So it, it's all quite pure, really. There's nothing really that complicated about the sounds. It's just a lot of them mm -hmm, sort mm -hmm. of happening at once. Yeah. Again, it's that thing, I, I like that because I haven't, I haven't really dealt with that before in that way so that was the kind of the dig for me and, and then really it was like well if I'm going to use this I'm going to pretty much stick to this as being the foundation for it you know make a meal out of this this this, mm -hmm. this uh, discovery for a bit and that will be it you know that will be my uh, my dinner to serve <laughs> with that with that idea and that's that's I didn't want to wander too far away from that yeah it's interesting too that you say you were a drummer because um, the drums really take a back seat on this record. Um, yeah. The, I mean, mm. the, there are quite a few tracks that are kind of just the kick drum and the arpeggio, yeah. and that's simple. it. And even on the others that are a bit bigger and fuller, there's still about 10% of the drums you would find in, in yep. a normal techno track. Yeah. Yeah, it is very, very simple actually. I think I think it was more like, I think I was approaching more that the drums were a kind of a drummer. So. Hmm. And it's it's very familiar. Um, there's a lot of 909 that I've always used in plantering, is always used in techno, but it's like, I thought, well, I don't really need to, I just wanted it to be kind of almost like a drummer, just creating the rhythm. to ask you a little bit about The Seventh Plane. Uh, you've just done an anthology of uh, some previously released, some previously unreleased material. 
on Ostgutton. Mm. Um, kind of what what occasioned that, and and also why why did you decide not to do uh, the two albums in their entirety, the My Wise uh, Yellow Wise Rug and Well, Oscar were starting a new label, specific, spef- you know, specifically focused on slightly alternative alternative back catalogue, different things. The guys at Oscar have always been so in the seventh plane, even before I kind of really even never, I never really thought about it much over the years. But then they, the seventh plane sort of got involved with Oscar, with the ballet thing and everything. And that, that kind of restarted. I thought, well, maybe it's actually, it's, it's actually very, it's kind of great to suddenly find people really love this stuff that you did. Totally different person, like so many years ago, man. And then, but they, so I had to go through all the that's, um, which was a really hard experience, man. I really don't want to do that again. So I was, <laughs> so like, it was just emotionally very, very difficult to, to, to drag up all these that's and then, you know, sort of relive this, all the stuff I did then. I was finding all this stuff that I didn't even know existed. Did it put you back in that in that kind of mindset of? It did, but there was a slight sort of. There was a, It was kind of like a, it. It wasn't very balanced. There, there was a lot of. Um, I mean, I was listening to tracks and going, "Actually, it sounds quite good." I don't know how I did that, but at the same time, I didn't want to be put back where I was in '94 or '96. There was. I'm not. I'm not. I hate nostalgia just it, it, it rips me up man and I was so it was kind of get in there you know get murky and get out and <laughs> you know get them off the dats and then I just I just really worked with them what 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 they were see what they were getting off on and then put it together that way rather than me having a sort of a, a direct I, I couldn't you know I, I didn't want to be the the, the idea creator in the seventh plane just the just the music, you know, it'd be too much. Was there any discussion of of doing the the albums in their entirety, the the My Yellow Eyes Rug and Four Cornered Room, or yeah, um, but I I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been done, and you can get stuff anywhere mm-hmm. these days. I thought it'd be, I, it was, had to be something a little bit different to keep it interesting, yeah. and and new stuff's always better than old stuff. <laughs> I always think so. It's, it's, it's funny because a lot of people come up to me at gigs and like, even when I just got off the decks or playing live and then they, oh, you know, really like that seventh playing track, you know. And there's, there's something like really endearing with that, like, yeah, you really, you really like it, don't you? Yeah. You know, you really, I can tell you really do like that track, man. And there was quite a lot of that going on and that sort of also made me think, oh, some people are really going to love that stuff, man. You know, really, really lovely. to get too much into nostalgia but when you look back on on all the years that you've been releasing music are there key tracks that stand out for you where you think i mean let's say if you if you had to introduce someone new to your music you know to your 27 years of music what what would you play them 
I don't know, because there's sort of a few personalities. And most people seem to go for the Joe Beltram forklift remix, which seems to be the, the gateway for that side of things. Planetary Assault Systems has always been the sort of, uh, the, the kind of beautiful curse of what I do. People, beautiful curse, why? Yeah. Uh, because it seems people really like it. They really get excited about it and it, and it kind of takes over, which is a great thing, but it's, it's also very hard to step away from that as well. So once I get stuck into the planetary side of things, I, it's very hard to like get out of it. That's been your main, I mean, you had seemingly between like 2003 and 2009 or thereabouts, you weren't doing as much, at least as far from, from yeah. Discogs. Yeah. And then you came back with Planetary Assault Systems in yeah. 2009. And since then, that's really been your main yeah, avenue. We, yeah, we've really been going through Planetary. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I do, I do, it, it kind of, everything kind of disappeared for quite a period. But I think that was the right thing to do. Um, I was still gigging in that, but I just didn't write anything, nothing. Um, were you still, I mean, no, were you no. working on music, but not, but just not coming up with stuff you liked, or were you just... No, no, I was, I was going through massive changes in, you know, in life. But I, did, I just didn't feel like writing. I just didn't feel anything for that, so I didn't. Um, when, I, when I started Motivolver, again, I thought I'd start a label, I think it was 2007 somewhere around there and actually it was all m more about LB dub call so that was the I original idea to do that and, and alternative uh, music from me uh, but actually it was funny because Heidi came along and said you, you, you've got to release a planetary assortment system down and I said well you know, I, can't, I can't do all that again I can't, I can't just do it all again she said no you, you, you have to do it you really have to do it. Like I said, you want me to just go and do one? Just, just go, like literally, just go and write with all the stuff from before and everything. Just want me to go and sort of put myself, put myself there. Say, so, yeah, just go and write one. So I thought, okay. So I just did. So I literally went in the studio and wrote an album, and that that was really the sort of the restart of Planetary, and mainly because how people received it. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. What is it that's difficult about planetary? I mean, why that hesitation? Do you, is it? I mean, do you have to go to a difficult place in your head to create that kind of music? Is it? Is it something about needing to kind of meet listeners' expectations that it's going to be a certain kind of record? What, like, what made you resistant to that idea? I know I've never really sort of thought of too much about. Or it has to be a certain thing because planetary people who like planetary and then the gigs they, they expect that. You know, what were your hesitations about going back to just that it would it would I'd just be repeating mm -hmm. everything that because as far as I was concerned it was kinda of done and dusted mm -hmm. and, and that but I kinda of discovered there's there was a lot lot more to do. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 why I restart. If you if you look at planetary there's a lot of it's my, my favourite older planetary tracks are probably the manual ones, the more tricked out ones. Um, but it's the harder ones. It's the harder ones that people know. So. Yeah.
fans can be quite um, quite quite demanding. You know, I mean, they they have expectations. Yeah, they they do. I'm always trying to avoid that in a way because it, it's it's like if you if you close yourself in a club to feel secure, in the end, there's only going to be two of you in there. Yeah, you know. So I've I don't like I've always had this sort of element me like, okay, that's cool, but. Let's let's broaden that out over there a bit, you know. Do you ever feel like there's kind of your gigs are for one public and your records are for another public? I th- I th- that used to happen actually quite a lot, but but these days no. Okay. It's really that that was one of the things I wanted to correct mm-hmm. was this sort of thing where I was doing free funk, but when I was playing, I was playing pretty more straight and techno. And I, I used to really hate that, that sort of, I couldn't seem to link them together. But now, that, that was one of the things in stage two I wanted to get right. If I was making that, then that's what I was playing and performing as well. And that was really important to me to, to actually be able to do that. Are, are you DJing these new planetary tracks in, in your sets? Some of the ones yeah, without yeah. a lot of drums? I was wondering kind of how they function on a, in a club setting. I find it really exciting and interesting because it's a different headset, but people they they tune into it but it just takes a bit of time you know it's like i'm just gonna take you over there you know just just go with that <laughs> and they and i was curious about because i thought well these you know these don't really fit 100 percent with techno sets but you know I'm, I'm kind of moving more and more towards that thing and i guess it's that thing even as a dj i'm aware of tracks Looking at it as a DJ, oh, is this going to work? Is this going to work? It's it's not taking a chance, but it but it, it it it's it's kind of pushing things forward as well. It's like there's no reason why people can't get into anything if it's good and there's enough of it. You know, I always think there's that's how that's how new sounds and music is discovered because it, it, you know that's just the way it changes anyway. And talking of clubs, you played last night at Rasmataz in Barcelona, and the night was billed, I think, as uh, 22 years of planetary assault. 22 light years. 22 light years. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm guessing there are a lot. Of, how does it feel to be playing to an audience, many of whom are probably under 22 years old? You know, when you're you're looking back on records. Yeah, the crowds never get older. <laughs> <laughs> the crowds never get older, man. It's really cool. It's 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 really great. I mean, I mean, actually, kind of enjoying myself a lot at the moment in how I feel about doing what I do so and it's and it's, it's still all about that it's we're, we're doing a live show or uh, I'm DJing it, it's still about this thing with the crowd trying to you know get in touch with them So, Ben, you and I both recently uh, coincided on an album. We don't often write about the same record. Uh, it's the new Zombie album, Ultra, on Hyperdub. A really, really interesting record. One that I think you and I initially uh, kind of started out in different places on, and but sort of wound up having, I think, a similar assessment. Um, what, what do you think of, of Ultra? It took me a while to get into it. It took me a while to almost understand it, if you know what I mean. I remember... Um, being quite excited about it. I'm a fan of Zombie. I know he um, 
his last album maybe wasn't that great. It was far too long. It was inconsistent. And the recent EPs haven't particularly done it for me. But still, when a zombie release comes through, um, I'm very I'm very excited about it. And this one had, obviously, the headline-grabbing um, burial collaboration. And um, I... But at first listen, it was very hard to work out sort of what was going on. It was hard to, like, pick out a thread. It's hard to say, well, what exactly is this doing? And I like that. I like that you can't sort of go, all right, okay, standard zombie album, rave references, bit of trap... There we go. Um, and I, because I had to review it, I listened to it loads and loads and loads. And I was trying to think, well, what is this? You know, what, what exactly is going on? And, I mean, eventually I sort of picked up a few different, different strands. And it was obvious, to me, it really felt like there was new things he was doing. You know, it wasn't just that he was working with other people. But, like, there were a couple of tracks which really reminded me of, like... Um, ambient music, sort of ambient techno from the early 90s, really warm tracks. Um, or Carl Craig, they really reminded me of some of his ambient numbers. There were songs that sounded a bit like the sort of Wiley Devil mixes. Um, there were a couple of songs that sounded very much like old school zombie, well, only, only kind of one or two. Um, and the collaborations were very different things. And um, I really enjoyed it. I think he really pushed the boat out and did a lot of different things, but it still sounds just about coherent. It was, it's funny because it took me a while to come around on it. Um, at first I wasn't really impressed at all. And I think part of that had to do with the opening track. Um, the, the title of it is perfection. No, no reflection. Ah, right, right. Reflection with the, the twin peaks sample. Um, and I don't know, at first I, I thought that was just a strange, it just didn't seem all that to me. I mean, it had the the, the guncock and the gunshot samples, uh, the sort of horn bombast swagger, and it sounded a little pro forma to me. Um, I actually didn't recognize the spoken word sample until I plugged uh, the text into Google, and then I realized it was the conclusion to uh, Twin Peaks. It was the log lady's little speech. And I, again, I was like, I don't know, that's a little... Like, I feel like that's been done. I feel like maybe Twin Peaks isn't is super interesting. I feel like the guncock samples and, and gunshots are not super interesting. Um, but, and the other thing that really turned me off at first was, uh, was the collaboration with Burial, which I heard before I listened to the album as a whole. And it just seemed, I mean, that, you know, the, the get effed up, get effed up we're we're censoring that for for our family listeners here um i mean it seemed like a joke to me i think we've spoken about that on on the podcast previously but it just didn't it didn't make sense to me it didn't really sound like burial although the more i listened to it the more i could see how it's sort of sweet like nature you know it didn't even occur to me it's called sweets with a z like yeah. sweets like like sweet shop or something but burial has lately been making these sweets s u i t e s you know, these like three-part extended songs. And this one is kind of, it has a sweet-like structure. Do you think that's why they called it Sweets? I have no idea. Could be. It's good thinking. I hadn't thought of that either. Burial, if you're listening to this, <laughs> let us know. Um, yeah, so anyway, so, you know, that that track kind of turned me off at first. But then, as I said in my review, like, in the context of the album, it started to make more sense. There was other stuff on the record that reminded me a little bit of Actress, Um sort of the really dry, lo-fi, um, 
really compressed sounds. Um, and, and it just, yeah, it, it started kind of opening up to me and I started hearing how much he was kind of pushing himself and trying different things. I, I didn't think the, the collaboration with Dark Star was entirely successful. I'm not the biggest Dark Star fan in the first place, but, but I did at least think that it was interesting and different and trying something new. I thought the Reset track actually maybe a little less experimental, but, but I liked it very much. I thought that was a great example of, you know, kind of like hardcore breaks um, in, in a zombie style track. Um, there, what's the one that's like a real, a quite quick four to the floor. I think it's glass. Is yeah. That, is that the one? Glass is sort of the four to the floor probably sounds the most like traditional zombie, I would say, you know, I mean, with the crystalline melody. Yeah. Yeah. There's glass. And then her is a really gorgeous one as well. Mm. And yeah. The, the, the standouts, I don't know. Eventually it kind of got its hooks into me and I, and I came around. Burial collaboration. Um, I again, I listen to that a lot because you know it's quite, it's a big time collaboration, and um, I was reading re reactions to it on Discogs. I think and it really split people. You know, people were saying it's actually the worst thing ever, and I kind of like music that that really polarizes an audience in that way. I think it's very interesting, and Sweets the burial collaboration eventually. I knew it reminded me of something, and eventually I worked out what it was, and it was Revolution 9 by the Beatles. <laughs> and, and I thought, is this a ridiculous comparison to make? Am I, am I, am I going too far? Um, but it really did in the way that it sort of has that um, repeated uh, vocal. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like a sound collage. Uh, it's very atmospheric. Uh, the words sort of, kind of lose meaning as yeah. they get repeated. Yeah, yeah. It sort of unwinds at its own its own pace, and um, you know I, I like Revolution Nine, and um, <laughs> I I really like Sweets in the end because I think I said this in my review. It's not what anyone I think would have expected a zombie and burial collaboration to sound like, even if there are recognisable sort of elements of what they do. You know, you've got the cigarette lighters, you've got the sort of record murk, you've got the rave horns, that kind of thing. They've used them in very different ways. I would really like to know the backstory of this album because, of course, he did the two records for 4AD, which at the time was quite, you know, that was that was unusual, that was notable. Um, and then it was, I think, quite notable that he only did two records for 4AD. And then he was on to XL for uh, that recent EP. Or Let's Jam, two, yeah. Two EPs, I guess, Let's Jam. And then I actually thought that this was on, I, I just wasn't paying attention. I just kind of assumed this was on... XL still and then I kind of finally read the press release and was like oh it's hyperdub so I'd love to know sort of what happened there I guess maybe he was never signed to XL proper um, but it would be interesting to know I mean what I thought was very interesting as well is is that there was sort of uh, two years where he released very little music mm. and he's always been you know really really prolific um, you, you know releasing not just actually releasing music but also sort of putting demos out for people to download, that kind of thing. 
And not to say anything for two years was, was quite a long time. I mean, there was a bit, there was like a Wiley collaboration, there was the XL EPs, but that's not a great deal. Um, and this might be total nonsense, but I got the feeling that maybe he was trying to work out what his role is, hmm. what kind of niche he occupies, you know, who he is, why, why he should make music in 2016. Well, this certainly strikes me, after listening to it a ton, as a much more kind of carefully selected record than certainly than With Love was. Um, we, we were talking on our walk over here about how With Love was just, it was too much of it. You know, I don't think they needed the second disc at all. Um, there, you know, there were multiple instances where he used, where tracks, two tracks were essentially variations upon a single theme. And, you know, maybe that particular theme wasn't that interesting in the first place. And in this case, I, I did think that there were, there were two, um, very similar kind of esky style grime tracks. There was Yeti and Freeze. Um, maybe if they'd been moved further apart from each other on the record, it would have worked better for me. But being next to each other as they were, it was like kind of overkill. Like, I get it. Th- these are your esky tracks. But aside from that, this record was... I can imagine this being culled from 50 tracks that he had and he and Code 9 sat down and said, okay, this is going to be the 13 track track listing for this album as opposed to With Love, which was 37 tracks, which was called from 37 tracks. You know what I mean? Also, the tracks are a lot longer here. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, a lot of his tracks previously would weigh in around the two-minute mark, three minutes. Um, and these, you're getting into four, five, um, even seven, I think, mm. for the, the uh, burial collaboration. And that's kind of something, I think, in a way, he needed to do because... A lot of his short tracks were really great. They'd come in, they'd make their point, and they'd leave. Um, and I think that's great. But then I think eventually you maybe need to develop that a bit. And it kind of feels mm-hmm. like that's what he's done here. It's interesting that most of the longer tracks here are, in fact, collaborations. I'm just kind of scanning down the track listing here. And the one with Banshee is five and a half minutes. The one with Burial, of course, is seven minutes. Uh, the one with Dark Star, four and a half, four twenty. Attention Smokers, and the one with Reset was five and a half again. And then you look at the ones that were done solo, and with the exception of Reflection, they're all back kind of in the in the two-minute, three-minute range. I think, essentially, this is his best album. I, I think that's uh, that's a distinct possibility. I'm, I'm eager to see where he goes from here. I'm eager to see what he does next. I mean, this... Um, I like to think it's kind of a, a springboard to, you know, changing up his style even further. It would be good to see, um, as I say, it felt like he was rejuvenated here. And it would be good to see that that continue, you know. I think it felt a bit, with, with Love, there was just too much zombie. You mm-hmm. know, it was just like... Mm-hmm. And someone whose music... It's quite it's quite a shame, you know, someone whose music can be really special to actually think, no, this is just too much. I don't want these 30-odd tracks. Yeah. Um, and it felt like this was, yeah, like a, re- a rejuvenation. It would be great to see where he goes from it. I think more collaborations. You know, he's obviously... Um, very good at collaborating with people uh, and people want to work with him and it brings out something different in his music it's funny because I, I was reading an, an older interview with him and he they were asking you know would you want to work with um, would you want to work with Kanye or something like that and in kind of typical typical uh, zombie fashion he was like I don't I don't care about working with 
you know, he's like, of course I'd like to work with Kanye, but I'd much rather work with one of my, my heroes like Burial or somebody like that. So I, I thought that was nice to see, like, he is in fact working with, with Burial. Maybe, maybe now he can go on and, and work with Kanye. Or work with Apex Twin. Or work, that, that was the other um, one that he mentioned in that interview, I think, exactly. I'd like to hear that. I'd like to hear that. No yeah. idea how it would work. It'd be, it'd be really interesting. I see that being more in the vein of, of uh, Milkman and some of the tracks like yeah. that. Or, you know, yeah, we'll see. Ben, um, I guess it's time for some recommendations. Yeah, I wanted to uh, start off um, with a track from Powell. And um, if, if you'll permit me, there's a, a vaguely interesting story behind it, I think, anyway. Let's hear it. So you remember when Powell um, put up his email address and he asked for people to get in touch and he said he was going to respond to all the emails and there was a few sort of news stories about that. Um I I was quite interested to see what he had to say. And apparently one of the things that, that people said he'd sent back was if you if you email him, you get back this guide to interviewing him, which sounded quite amusing. So I thought, I'd quite like to read this guide to interviewing him. So I thought I'd send him an email, kind of assuming I wouldn't get um, a response. And he did. He responded. And um, my, my initial email was um, nothing to do with music. I, I asked him for advice on taking my children swimming and how many pages you should read from a book before you give up on it <laughs> just because these a are good important question well these are two things i've been thinking about and i mean i did it not exactly as, as a joke because you know they're, they're actual things i've been thinking about but you know it's not maybe what you'd the first thing you'd ask a sort of techno producer and um to my surprise he got back and um he um the swimming one he just sort of said well show your children this and he had this um gif of of the the, the power logo swimming which later became i could see why because the the album's called sport isn't it ah right right um but books he said uh something like oh i'm not really that good at finishing books but i read this book when i was doing my album and we ended up talking about books basically um, and so he, uh, you know, he sent about three emails. We were talking about various things. And at the end, he said, um, right, have these, have these tracks. You know, he sent me a link to, um, it was 10 tracks, I think he sent, which are never going to be released, he said. We hear one there. And um, one of which was uh, this track called New Jacket. Which is great. I mean, actually, all of the tracks were really good, but New Jacket, I really liked. It was um, this sort of weird, like, stuttering techno track, kind of quite abrasive, but you could still dance to it. Um, and it's one I know he has been um, putting in some of his mixes, so it is sort of vaguely out there. Um, but I, it was just really refreshing, I think. The whole way in which I got the track, and also the track itself was brilliant. Let's listen to a, a little little snippet of that. 
I reviewed uh, a song called Frankie by Powell. It's kind of the first song off of the off of Sport uh, for Pitchfork, and and I thought it was really interesting because it reminded me a ton of Electro Clash. Um, the not not so much the production on the track itself, although a little bit of that kind of rudimentary rock drumming, but mainly the vocal on it. You know, this really like kind of sultry, low in the mix, kind of sing speaking, your touch, it burns, you know, that sort of thing. And um, which seemed kind of appropriate, like if anybody's going to like have the gumption to to flirt with Electro Clash in 2016, it's it's going to be Powell. And and actually on Twitter, he, he said that he had never heard of Electro Clash until I, uh, until I wrote about it. And part of me, is like that's absurd. There's you know he's well way too kind of well versed in things. But and part of me is like I don't maybe that's true. Like I don't know how old he is, but maybe he entirely missed that that era of things. I mean, if he's twenty five, you know, we're talking a good ten years ago, aren't we? Even more, you know. Electro Clash was like two thousand, two thousand one. Really? Oof. No, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are we ripe for an Electro Clash revival? I certainly hope not. <laughs> if I mean, if we were going to have an Electro Clash revival that wasn't awful, what would it? What would it have to do or sound like? Wow, I mean, almost like Frankie. It's it's sort of, I suppose. I I'm no Electro Clash fan, but I guess if you're thinking of one way in which you could look at Electro Clash is techno-ish music with personality and songs, mm. um, and that I'm, I'm in all favour of. You know, if you can add personality to things, and you know, the, there were some really good Electro Clash songs. I'm going to go for uh, Emerge. I'm going to go for. Y- you can't be mad at Emerge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Totally, totally. I mean, everything else that happened with Fisher's Boon, but that's a great song. Um, and uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, well, then there was the whole. I mean, there was the whole kind of retro angle, I mean, nag, 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 Cabaret Voltaire. I mean, there was there was a lot of older synth music that got kind of returned to dance floors for a lot of people for the first time in their lives that they heard it at all, you know? I mean, um, I knew Cabaret Voltaire from growing up as a teenager, but then kind of reacquainted with them through, through Electro Clash in a way. Um, I mean, there was a lot of other stuff like some of those early Tiger Sushi records like Gina X, more GDM. I mean, those weren't Electro Clash exactly, but they happened within that um, within that milieu, and, and that wasn't a bad thing. I mean, heck, I remember even in the early 2000s in Lolita, you heard a lot of kind of, here, here in Barcelona, you heard a lot of kind of DFA-type things, a lot of more kind of rock-oriented dance music, um, and, it, and it made a lot of sense at the time in that context. And how does the Powell album sound? Um, I need to listen to it a lot more, but uh, so far I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. I mean, it's I, I like I like just the fact that he's doing his own sort of weird thing. I like the fact. I mean, I I was really convinced by his performance at Lapsus last year. I I just thought that was brilliant. It kind of summed up everything. I don't know about his whole practice, his aesthetic. It's it's noisy. It's over the top. It's chaotic. It's messy. It's also quite genuine and sincere. Um, I really like the way he's doing, I like the way that he he communicates with people, this story that you told about these emails, you know, I like the fact that when um, he wanted to sample Steve Albini, 
um, and Big Black and Steve Albini wrote him an email saying basically F you, you know, then he and his record label posted a billboard of it, but not out of spite and not out of malice. And the fact that then in later interviews, Powell talked about how much he really respected Steve Albini. And I don't know, like I, I, I just like his whole public persona. Well, one of the funny things that we talked about was actually, I remember saying almost just like an offline, isn't this driving you mad, you know, responding to all the me- emails. And he went, no, 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 this, I, I, I love it. You know, I, that's what music's about, isn't it? It's about connecting people. And I actually love what I'm doing. I love this experiment, you know, responding to everyone. I thought, fair enough. That's very impressive, <laughs> that's you know. Cool. Philip, what's your first recommendation? Um, I've been listening really nonstop for, for weeks now to the latest album by Daniel Lanois. It's called Goodbye to Language. I, I don't know um, how much you know about him. He's a producer, really a uh, super producer. Um, he, he's worked with U2 and Brian Eno. I mean, he did uh, The Unforgettable Fire, The Joshua Tree. I mean, these massive, massive kind of iconic records. Uh, with Brian Eno, he did Apollo, uh, the Apollo record. He did Ambient 4 on Land. Um, with Tom Petty, he did an 89 album called Oh Mercy. Um, I mean, he's, he's really like, he's in there, you know, like in the pantheon and he's been a solo artist for a long time. And most of his albums have been much more kind of traditional singer songwriter sort of stuff. And, but he's a pedal steel player. And so this new album, um, is just him and a lap steel guitarist and it's all instrumental and it's just purely pedal steel and lap steel and his effects, and it's processed in such a way that it's really, it's just a pure ambient record. It's just these sort of swirling guitar tones um, through, you know, I don't even know what effects, but there's one point where you can hear some backmasking, there's some, some obvious delay. But the point of it is really, it's just like pure tone. There's almost no attack. Um, it really emphasizes the best qualities of, of the pedal steel which is like it's it's legato touch um it's sustain it's vibrato and it's just th- these very sort of shimmering ethereal tones were you expecting this in any way from him no i really wasn't i mean i'm not i'm not like a deep daniel lanois expert by any means um i don't think i'd ever listened to any of his um solo work before this album uh but it's it's out on anti records out of la and and the publicist from Anti kept saying, hey, you know, like, I, please listen as I think you would really like it. And I, I had it in a playlist of, um, of things that I was kind of meaning to get around to. And I flew back to the United States about a month ago. And this popped up on kind of randomly on my playlist. And it was the perfect thing for sitting on an airplane and reading and just, I mean, it's pure ambient music. You know, it's like, it's not drone music necessarily because it's actually quite um harmonic there's a lot of chords happening it's it's like i in my review i said that it was on the one hand it worked toward the dissolution of structure in the sense that there was no rhythm there's kind of no there are no notes being struck but at the same time harmonically it's it's very deeply structured um so it's kind of an interesting sort of paradox there i'm quite interested in the title goodbye to language does he explain what that's about um, you know, somebody in, on Twitter today mentioned that it might be the reference to a film. And so um, that could well be possible. I, c- I can't remember the filmmaker that they were talking about. Um, I mean, I see it as, as kind of a play on, A, it's an, it's an album of all instrumentals, which is something that he hasn't really been known for doing solo. 
and at the same time, I think it kind of speaks to the the incredibly sort of lyrical and expressive quality of the instrument itself. I mean, the pedal steel, you know, you use this glass or metal slide that slides up and down the strings, up and down the fretboard to create this kind of legato touch in it. And it gives the the instrument this really like singing quality, you know. Um, and so, to, you know, it sounds like something is singing or crying, even though it's, it's all instrumental. I've only heard this briefly, but one thing that struck me um, is the pedal steel for me is a very um, American instrument. Mm. I associate it very much with sort of country music, which, you know, for me is a very American type of music. Is this sort of American ambient? Yeah, I mean, I think there is something, I mean, I mean it's hard because there are certain tracks on this that sound even more the one that you and I listened to briefly here is one of the swirlier, more purely ambient ones. But there are others where the qualities of the instrument kind of come to the fore. And I think in the review I said it sounds something like country music that's been dubbed almost in the manner of um, like Alvin Lucier sitting in the room. I'm, I'm sitting in a room, you know. Um, there is something deeply American about it. And even though, I mean, he's he's Canadian, so ah. North American. But he's a student yeah, of, yeah. of American Music. The pedal steel is really interesting because it actually um, is was a Hawaiian invention. I didn't know that. It was invented, I want to say, in 1889, and I I don't remember the the guy's name right now. Um, Please, pedal steel train spotters. I mean, it's, it's super. <laughs> it's it's right there on Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, it was the the story goes. It was a guy who was you know was w like walking down the street with a friend, and he picked up a metal bolt and kind of slid it up and down the strings, and it was a eureka moment. Um, and what really interests me about the instrument is how it's basically the evolution of it has been this long series of kind of workarounds and trade-offs because the, I don't know if you play guitar or if you know much about voicing chords, but to, to, to voice chords on the guitar, you have to sort of shift fingers around in a, in a way that works completely opposite to if you had just a slide, uh, a metal slide sliding up the strings, um, then Technically, with a slide, then all of your chords are going to be voiced in parallel harmony, and you can't modulate chords the way that you normally would. And so as the instrument evolved, they started building in all these workarounds, a system of pedals and knee levers that allow you to raise or lower the pitch of a string by, by a semitone. Ultimately, the instrument developed into like, many of them have two necks, with 10 or 14 strings per neck, and then this vast system of knee levers and foot pedals. I mean, it's an incredibly complex instrument, and it's complex precisely because in order to, to like make it do the things that it doesn't want to do, because you're just sliding a piece of glass up and down the strings, and, and that's a very sort of limiting action. And so it's all about kind of tricking it into doing these other things. I don't know. It's a, it's a really fascinating instrument, and um, I was just thinking one of the things the album reminds me of. Don't you agree? Is KLF's Chill Out, mm, mm. which is um, portrays a mythical nighttime journey from Texas into Louisiana. Well, there you have it. And the pedal steel features as well. Um, and I mean, the Chill Out is a fantastic album. One of the best sort of ambient albums I think ever. Do you ever. know who the pedal steel player was on that? Pass. Okay. I think it might. I think it was probably just sampled. Sampled, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't it's know. interesting because the pedal steel turns up every now and then in ambient music. I mean, there was also Luke Vibert did an album with it. B. J. Cole. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, there was that. And then, of course, I mean, so on the, I think it's the Apollo's, Apollo Atmospheres and Soundtracks or something like that, that the Brian Eno and Roger Eno album that Daniel Lanois also plays on, um, there's a lot of pedal steel on that as well. So um, in a way, this album is just kind of taking that concept and and really kind of distilling it to like its purest degree. Anyway, it's a, it's a really beautiful record. I, I highly recommend it. And which song should we listen to? Um, you know, the really funny thing is this is probably the first time I've ever written a review and I did not name a single track because literally there's there's no point because it's so... They, they just blur together. And so, I mean, I listened to this album dozens upon dozens of times and there are almost no defining features. You know, there's one... I mean, you can, some of them you can kind of tell apart. It's, it's a hard thing to explain because it's not like, oh, it all sounds the same. It's just like, there's not a lot to grab onto there. And so, um, literally I couldn't tell you the title of a track to listen to. We're just going to pick one at random. Well, in a, in a very schoolmastery way, uh, I'm going to, uh, demand we listen to, uh, Deconstruction. It, it's a, it's a super smart title. So we'll okay. go with that one. Ben, what's your other recommendation for us this week? So I've got an all Catalan mix. Um, why not? Um, it's uh, by Pedro Vian, who we've had in the podcast Friend of the show. Before. Exactly. Um, really super talented producer. Um, we talked to him back when we were talking about Barcelona labels, and I'd recommend his modern obscure music. Um, so his um, debut album is going to be coming out soon. It's called uh, Beautiful Things You Left Us for Memories. And there's a track on there um, called 801 Night, and it features Carla Perez Vaz, mm-hmm. um, who is the singer from Morn. Yeah. Uh, who are, if you don't know them, well, I know you know them, but if you uh, listeners don't know them, they're a sort of Catalan uh, rock band, kind of indie, indie rock. rock. Yeah. yeah, kind of remind me quite, quite grungy, uh, maybe a little bit. Ramonesy, maybe. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. PJ Harvey, right? PJ Harvey, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and they're all about twenty years old at this point, right? They were yeah. eighteen and well, fifteen when they're yeah. She, she was fifteen when the album first came out. So wow. Um, n- not the kind of person you would expect to sing on what is sort of a fairly slinky house number, and it re- really works really well. It, it's, um, she, I guess she uses her voice in a different way. She kind of uses it in quite a toned back way, which works very well with the production, which itself is, is um, it's not really, really obvious, the production. It's very, mm. very sort of cleverly used. And it kind of almost makes a pop song. All of that put together almost makes something, you know, you could sing in the shower. You know, I've heard it, and... I cannot for the life of me recall. What language is she singing in here? English. Okay. Because she usually sings in English. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I think I remember reading a review, uh, an interview with them when they, they said that, you know, they've always written songs in English because a lot of the songs 
most of the songs they listened to are English. Yeah. So that yeah. was um, that was the reason they did it. But the album's great. The album I really recommend. Um, there is another track I really like called Indian Strings, um, which is uh, sort of quite sort of spooky house number that I really enjoy. It, yeah, it's I'm I'm still getting to know the album, but I'm I'm really impressed with it so far. It's um it's quite understated, but not I don't know. It's it's understated and it works. Um, been trying to figure out kind of where to place the record, and I think I pitched in a review and I said somehow that it. I, something that like it fell somewhere between Ivern and Lies, but that doesn't quite work for me either. I mean, it's it's kind of doing its own thing. I mean, I like the fact that as a Barcelona release, it's it's really hard to compare to anything else happening here right now. I think that's a you know a point in its favor. It's very elegant. Mm. I think it's very well sculpted. It sounds very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, when 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 you listen to a record, every little thing like oh, I like that drum I like that hi-hat I like that little bit of percussion you know it all just sounds beautifully put together and he said he's been working on it for for two years um so and you can lot, hear that yeah you can yeah. hear that a lot of work has gone into it um well let's let's listen to his song with Carla Perez Vaz uh it's night 801 night This has been another edition of Line Noise. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, send us an email. Tell us what you thought of the show. Ask us a question. Um, ask us something you'd like to hear on a future show. Um, ask us something about Powell, if you'd like. Recommend ask, us a song. Recommend us a song. And um, we'll, uh, we'll catch you here next time. All right. See you then. <laughs>